you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. This is your host, David. This week, we have a great show for you. We're getting inside the heads of an actress and a director who shot a short film that was recently featured at the Cinema Q Film Festival here in Denver. As you know, John and I love good stories, uh, stories that tell things from the perspective of the LGBT community, and that's what this short film was about. We also get to see what it's like to be an up-and-coming actor and director and trying to create your art, things that inspire us and drive us to do what we want to do. So let's get on with the show. But before we do, we want to remind you that there are companies that are supporting our community. And when they support our community, we need to support them. They encourage us to do better, and we want to support them in doing that. So once again, we encourage you to check out MassMutual at MassMutual.com. Now let's get on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. So we are excited to host Carlos and Rachel. Welcome to Queer Money. Hello. Hey, thanks for having us. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally great to have you. Let's start off with Rachel. Do you mind giving us a little bit of a background on who you are as an actress? <laughs> okay. Well, I am an actress who uh, has made a long journey into film, actually. I started with getting a degree in opera in college, deciding that was too hard. And then I went and lived in New York City for a year and a half, trained at the American Music and Dramatic Academy for musical theater, moved back to Denver started doing theater and through that kind of met some people in the film like area and started doing film and I've just fallen in love with it and I think it's just a great way to bring some powerful messages to people and just really explore characters and I just I really love it. Nice, great. Well, the uh, movie that we saw you in at the Denver Cinema Q Film Festival, I Stand Still, really shows that you love acting. Definitely. It was very powerful movie, we thought. Thank you. You're welcome. And then that leads us to the director of I Stand Still, Carlos Flores. Do you mind giving us a bit of uh, background on who you are and how you got into a film? Oh, uh, well, that's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really grow up as a typical film buff. Uh, like we didn't grow up watching classical films or anything. I was born in Puerto Rico, but I was always in the arts. My dad's a musician, so I was just kind of footed into that from the beginning, into violin and piano and uh but I've always just loved basically all arts, writing and painting. And eventually it just kind of all stuck together. And I realized I could do almost everything in film. And uh, that's kind of where my passion started was kind of experimentation with the medium itself. Interesting. Oh, I, so, of, I you... lost my train of thought there. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. What I think is interesting. So if I had the talent, I would be an actress because <laughs> I like all the attention. As David always says, I'm usually, if David and I were in a band, I would be the lead singer and he would be the drummer. So what I'm curious about is how did, you know, Rachel, how did, what was your affinity towards acting? And Carlos, what was your affinity towards being behind the camera? I think it's funny from a very young age, if you asked me what I wanted to do, would say I wanted to be a singer. And so that developed into wanting to perform and then I think it just, as I started to perform and learn about the craft and about um, other actors and other directors and other mediums, it really comes back to me to the story that actors, if you have the ability, you just get to tell just uh, people's stories that don't usually get to be told. So I think that's why I eventually fell in love with acting after deciding that singing purely wasn't for me. 
but I just love, I love the story. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Carlos, how'd you get into directing? Uh, I'm going to start with saying that I'm a Scorpio, not that I buy into everything <laughs> about that. <laughs> uh, I do have a desperate need to express myself, but not necessarily see myself. <laughs> well, being behind the camera or whatever, I, I, I really enjoy it basically every single aspect of filmmaking and often I'll, if I don't have a budget, I will do basically everything other than the acting. <laughs> oh, interesting. It's one of those things where if, if I'm not actively trying to create something, I am not in a healthy place and film just kind of really provides a huge outlet for that with so many possibilities that just really fascinates me. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And we can tell. And so that leads us to our, our next question. Do you mind giving our audience a little bit of a background on what I Stand Still is all about? <laughs> <laughs> I Stand Still is a, it's actually part of a little series that I've been doing ever since we moved to Denver, which is the, the concept is we have, I'll write a poem or somebody else will write a poem eventually. And we build a film around it that kind of plays with it. So they're not strict narratives and they're not precisely experimental films or just somewhere kind of in between. So it's a little ambiguous as to what is this about. The process began with the poem, which is a little abstract. I think for me, it had to do a lot with both where I was feeling as a filmmaker, which is, you know, I'm starting out and I didn't know anybody back then. Then I met Rachel and we, you know, became friends and that's how this happened. There's a lot of hesitation before you start creating. And, um, and this is also just tied into my whole acceptance of my process and accepting myself as a bisexual. I had a film company back in Florida before we moved here and we made our first feature, but this is the really long answer to your question. Uh, <laughs> everything we were creating back then kind of built my closet, so to speak. And I wanted to break free of that, which has not been an easy process for me. But doing these short films kind of has warmed the water up a little for me. And <laughs> I think I'm losing my track again. <laughs> so you, you actually wrote the poem that Rachel's character, apparently woman, reads throughout <laughs> I Stand Still, right? Yes. Right. And so that poem is, did I understand correctly, is a part of a series of poems that are being turned into movies? Yeah, it's actually the second one. It's all pretty new. I haven't been in Denver too long yet. The first one was very much about me, about kind of breaking free from those issues that I have. (laughs) (laughs) That we all have. (laughs) And then this one kind of is expanding a little more, and I wanted it to expand into somebody else's creative place. I wrote this poem intentionally having open ends and then it went even further than I realized that it would when we had the actresses actually improvise this whole argument that the rest of the film kind of ends up dancing around too. So, Yeah, I thought that was a very interesting juxtaposition because here was this Rachel reading this beautiful poem, but then peppered throughout her reading the poem was this lesbian couple arguing with each other. And if I understood the argument correctly, Rachel's character wasn't exactly accepting of being a lesbian and didn't want to commit with the other partner for fear that she would lose her family. Yeah, I think that's that's eventually what came out from it. Yeah. 
if you ad lib that, how did you come to that sort of direction, Rachel? <laughs> it was very interesting because originally the plan was for us to ad lib an argument and then the audio from it wasn't going to be used. It was just the poem that was going to be over it. And so we had honestly joked about arguing about stupid things like someone ate all of the Cheerios or something like that. Um, <laughs> things that we then, really do argue about. Yeah, exactly. Um, and actually, the other actress, Miranda, who's a really good friend of mine, she just started out with the first line that you hear in the argument. And I think we just, you know, everyone has those fights with their partners along the way in life of just those big moments where, you know, you can go right or left. And she started that. And I think we both just pulled from those moments in our lives and just, you know, threw those things out that we've heard and all felt. And you could tell, I think it really got both of us. We're both crying by the end. And if you can't tell by the very end, I had to turn away from Carlos because I was crying so hard that I just couldn't get any more words out. So that had to be the end of the argument. And I was really mad at Miranda because she looks so pretty when she cries. I just like leak from all of the orifices in my face and just look ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But it really it turned out very beautifully, like looking back on it. It was very hard actually to film. Killer arguments are never fun. It's just turned out very beautiful to show just how similar we all are in relationships and, you know, how much we can hurt each other or help each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's very interesting because I think most couples, like you said, they come to a, a point, whether they're straight, lesbian, gay, whatever, they come to a point where they have to decide whether they're going to continue on with this relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's not always the case that both partners want to continue with that. And that was kind of like the overview that we got or the sneak peek that we got into woman one and girlfriend two. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there was no, no time for names, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Tell me, I think what's also interesting is that you filmed this in Denver, which is not typically known as a place to, I think Jack Nicholson filmed a movie here once a long time ago. <laughs> many, many millions. Like <laughs> um, which is weird because, you know, Jack Kerouac, you know, got his start here in Denver, but we seem to have had a dearth of creativity in that, in that space <laughs> since then. What was it like filming a movie in Denver? My wife and I, Connie, and I moved to Denver because, well, first of all, we loved it. And we loved the feeling of it here and the mountains and everything we can find visually is just so beautiful already. We have a good canvas to work with. That's one thing. And the other thing is that it really does feel kind of adventurous here precisely because it's not so oversaturated as, say, someplace like L.A., which, I mean, it does mean we have some difficulties and it, you can't just step out on the street and say, hey, who wants to edit them a movie and get a line of 50 people? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> So it has been a bit of a struggle just getting into the community and figuring that out. But other than that, I, I love it because in a way it feels almost like there is no rules yet. This kind of film in particular, too, it, it's, it doesn't really like rules. So... <laughs> So do you have to get certain permissions from city officials to film in public spaces? Well, this project was small enough. We literally had the actors and me and Connie, and that was it, usually. Mm -hmm. uh, it was small enough that we didn't really have to bother too much. We weren't more intrusive than a couple of tourists and a camera. If we had anything bigger than that, we, we could definitely need to get some permits for public spaces. and. Uh, Colorado, as far as I can tell, seems to make it pretty easy. We can go online and submit for permits. I just haven't 
had the need to go through that process yet. Gotcha. So, so what I think is interesting is, you know, Part of why we do shows like this on Queer Money is we like to inspire our community to, to become more and to do more. What I'm hearing from you is that you don't necessarily need to go to New York City or LA or Canada. A bunch of movies are made there. <laughs> but you could, if you are from a smaller town somewhere in the middle of the country, if you can find you know a handful of people, you can probably produce a very compelling movie, at least to get yourself started within the industry, right? Yeah. I mean, it all comes down to whether you're willing to put in the effort i think and there's a lot of talent here and a lot of possibilities here it's just not organized <laughs> so i mean of course i also came from vero beach florida <laughs> where there's absolutely nothing mm -hmm. in comparison so to us it's like oh my gosh there's art everywhere there's energy there's creativity <laughs> this is amazing so i guess our perspective is a little skewed in that sense yeah i think especially now where you don't have to shoot on film which is incredibly expensive to do it really does open up possibilities for creating and how did you shoot did you use i guess newer technology or were you using traditional film we shot on a black magic cinema camera which is a digital cinema camera it gets some lovely images and you have to put in some work to make it look good but no it's, it's not film I'm just going to go back to one of the comments that you made about coming to denver i'm a longtime resident in denver i've spent 90 percent of my life here. You don't care to tell us how many years? No. Uh -uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> it begins with a four, that's for sure. <laughs> I will have to say that the last 10 years or so, Denver's art scene and the acceptance of all forms of art has really come alive. In the 80s, there were some pockets, but in, it just seems to me in the last 10 years, the city itself and the small communities of artists have really pushed. And we have so many different gallery districts right now. We have murals all over the city, which the city themselves invested in. We see various neighborhoods investing in street art of various types, you know, whether it's uh, sculpture or they're investing in the physical buildings themselves, making them more appealing physically and sometimes some cases very dramatically appealing. It's mm -hmm. nice to be in a city that's starting to thrive like that and see that kind of expression. But I think what one of the things that you're pointing out here is that a lot of those expressions are ones that we can see when we just are walking down the street or where we are in a na particular neighborhood. But your kind of expression is something that we don't get to see that often. And I think that's one of the reasons why John and I really love film and we sponsored the shorts this year again so that we can see that more of that kind of expression. So you had initially intended on launching or publishing the movie right up before Denver Pride 2016. Is that correct? Yeah, that would have been our first Pride in Denver and actually my first Pride ever because I had never been in a place that, that had that kind of event. It got a little more complicated just because as we were, we had already filmed and I believe I was doing sound design or composing the music when the pulse shooting happened and that kind of, well, it made it hard to get myself to want to finish making the film, honestly. As a queer Latino who had just moved from Florida, it was a thing that really affected me personally. And um, I wasn't exactly feeling the pride at that moment, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, sometimes I feel like we did not write this script thinking of that. And I wasn't sure how I felt about dedicating it to it, but I, I felt like I needed to if I was going to finish creating this film. I felt like I had to do it for them. This is, yeah. <laughs> 
I'm not sure this, this is the subject matter we wanted to get into right now. You mentioned earlier about the movie as an example of the similarities that different kinds of relationships have. And in sight of or considering the Pulse shooting, I think it kind of underscores there aren't really a whole lot of differences between us. Where do you see your movie standing in connection with the Pulse shooting kind of in hindsight now? There's the personal side of it, and then there's the theoretical, I guess you could say, side of it, the analytical side of it. And it's still, every time I watch it, I think of this. There's At the end of the film, you hear uh, the clock tower tolling. And that was honestly inspired because on one of our takes, it happened to go off. And I realized this actually adds a lot to the film. But then when I went to actually record the clock tower for it, I just walked into the city with my audio recording looking like an idiot. Uh, (laughs) And... I was just standing there with my microphone trying not to cry because I felt like every single toll felt like a body count. So that's <laughs> that's where I see it personally. To me, it's a tribute to those lives. On a more analytical side, I think I see the film as showing the importance of allowing ourselves some joy and respecting our truth, whatever that may be. There's already enough people who want us hurt or dead or, and we don't need to get in the way of our own happiness. Absolutely. So yeah. that's, that's kind of how I, after I developed, that's kind of how I, I see it in connection to that. So Carlos, thank you for sharing the feeling you had around the clock tower. I think that oftentimes we watch a film or we look at a piece of art and the thing that we forget is that there's feelings and emotions that the artist has whether it's an actor or the writer of the story or the director, painter, whoever it may be, there are feelings that they have that we don't often get a window into or we can't assume or we try to sometimes, I think. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we, try to, we try to interpret something. In our society, we always seem to want to assign meaning to certain things. But thank you for sharing that with us because it's sometimes it's those little things that help us remember that that's what art is about. It's about expression, mm-hmm. emotional sometimes, and we just have to accept that there's some sort of feeling there and we may never get an insight into it. So thanks yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. Here, here. Thanks, Carlos, for sharing that information about or your feelings around the Pulse nightclub shooting. It reminds us how important it is for all of us with that desire to give back. We all want to give back to our community, right? We want to help, especially when there are times when it's important and vitally important. But we can't give back unless we ourselves are in a good state, especially financially. And that's why we love working with companies like Mass Mutual, because Mass Mutual wants us to do well financially so that we can also support our community. So we encourage you to check out Mass Mutual at massmutual.com. Rachel, um, I'm going to ask the same of Carlos, but I'm curious about what your process is for preparing for a role. Um, I assume you get the script and you accept the role. How do you prepare to build or create that character? My background or training for that is always just pulling from personal experience. Very rarely do I find that I don't have something in my life that I can connect to the character. I haven't gotten a character yet. I'll let you know if I find that one. <laughs> um, 
But this one was a little bit different than most because, yeah, most of the time you get a script and you kind of see the relationship between that character and other characters and see their words and things. And this one, um, because it was the poem and we kind of built the narrative around the poem, I feel like as a group of filmmakers like Carlos, Miranda, me, and Connie kind of built these characters um, as we went. And I, I think partly for me it was just everyone has the struggles of, you know, who they love and how they love. And it's made that much harder nowadays, unfortunately, for folks who are in the LGBT community. So I think it's an important story to get out there. So I tried to just connect any, you know, I've had relationships that have been hard and I, particularly in college, had a very rough relationship. So I tried to just connect to those feelings and those emotions to kind of make everything truthful. That's my ultimate goal in any film that I do is to make it truthful. So if I'm not feeling that, I tend to just kind of take a step back and look at what would make a character react in a certain way. Even if I might not agree with it or it's not the way I would react, there's always a reason that that character does that. So I try to investigate that so I can just, like I said, make it truthful to the, the audience and to the character and the other characters. Gotcha. So you were obviously familiar with the poem. Mm-hmm. Did you and Miranda in advance at all? I mean, I guess it kind of beats the point of ad-libbing, but did you in advance talk about the direction that you would go beyond just yelling about free bubbles? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually not really. It's funny. I won't go too personal, but me and Miranda have some very similar um, relationship issues that we've experienced in our life. And we were friends before we filmed this. We had been in a, a musical together and just kind of built that kind of relationship. So it was easy for us to kind of step into the more personal with each other, just knowing each other's backgrounds. I think it opened the door to get to that really uncomfortable, really sensitive place to make that argument seem real. And it was interesting. We really did not talk about it that much. We joked about it a lot that day. We had filmed some of the scenes before that earlier in the day. And we actually, from that doing that scene, we went and performed that musical that night together. (laughs) So... I think it was just a very organic experience, which I don't think you get very often as an actress or an actor. So it's just one of those really great moments that everything Mm -hmm. clicked and it just came together. I do want to add that I offered to give them a subject to argue (laughs) on. And they were were just asked, "Um, can we just try it? And then if you don't like it, we'll try your your suggestion. I'm like, okay. And then it just blew me away. So we did it all in one take. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so that that makes me wonder how long, I don't know if production is the right word. How long did it take you to record all of the parts of the movie? Oh man, that feels like forever ago. I can't even remember. I would say probably a month, month and a half. Just working around. Because Connie as well, who was kind of doing all of the background stuff, was our stage manager for Miranda and I for this musical. So we were kind (laughs) of working around that schedule at the time. (laughs) So any spare time we could get that we could all be together. And I was your spotlight. Yes. And Carla was also. (laughs) It's a family affair. Oh, wow. Yeah. Always. So we were really grabbing just whatever time we could in Mm -hmm. between things. There was a couple times that Carlos and I just went over to his apartment at that time and like maybe an hour took care of something and then rushed off to whatever we were doing. So I would say t- probably until about a month and a half with some breaks in between every now and again. Interesting. That's very interesting insight. You just always assume that I don't know, everything was done like connected somehow yeah. in some way, shape or form. And I, you know, it was only a few years, maybe a decade ago that I learned that films aren't filmed in sequence. <laughs> <laughs> <Surprise>. <laughs> like, what? How do they even do that? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and, and what the the movie all together is twelve minutes? Actually, only six minutes. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. So I think that there's oftentimes this misconception because even John and I had that some some of the videos that we've done for our business, mm. and <laughs> you think, oh, well, it's only a two minute video. We should be able to knock this out in an hour, and then. <laughs> you have to do all these takes and you have to do all the editing and the sound and all that stuff and you're like ah <laughs> this is always supposed to take an hour <laughs> yeah. never does no it's no. always a, it's always the things that you expect will take the least amount of time but take the most amount of time <laughs> yeah. uh, john getting ready <laughs> showing him too much of our world <laughs> so carlos i'm going to ask the same question of you what's your process for creating a movie like what does that process look like so far i feel like it looks different every time especially when it comes to these poems which part of the reason we're doing them is to kind of explore new ways of doing things this film very much started with the poem and a very specific storyboard aside from the argument scene so we had every single shot planned and drawn before we even made a schedule so that way we could plan out how long things were going to take to make and uh, we wouldn't waste too much of our busy actress time. Uh, <laughs> They're expensive. <laughs> aside from that, it, it was, I think, a pretty organic process for this one. And then there's obviously a lot in post after recording. So there's the sound design and making, creating the music and editing and coloring and all that, all that fun stuff and figuring out how I'm going to fit this argument in. Am I going to cut out most of it out or just keep it all in? <laughs> so yeah, I guess you've got all this recording. Then the challenge is to put it together mm. so that it makes some sort of sense, right? Yeah, I mean, they kind of just did their own argument, which I don't think they were thinking about the poem when they came up <laughs> with it at all. I, I mean, I wouldn't have if I were in the place. But that's kind of the the fun in editing, I think, is when you find all these unexpected things and find a way to make them work together toward that first idea or even build on it and make it better than you thought it could have been. Right. So that's, that's where the magic is, I think. Nice. So it sounds like there will be some follow-up movies to this Die Stand Still? Uh, yeah, not, not so much related in subject matter, but in style. We have this poem that's already written. We actually recorded the voiceover already uh, with a very uh, talented dancer who's going to choreograph uh, along with another dancer. And it'll, it's actually a bilingual poem. So I did the Spanish part and he did the English part. We've been a little delayed because of between his busy schedule and finding a good place for us to actually have a dance, which is a little more complicated than just let's go to the bridge and shoot a scene <laughs> as we did for this one. <laughs> That's next in the series of poems. And then I do have another short written, another one that's starting, and a feature length that needs some revising, but it is written. So lots of exciting projects coming oh. up soon, hopefully. Yeah. Do you typically find that you're working on several projects at one time? I find that it's best for me to. I have a struggle between always feeling like I need to have things completed before I do anything else. And also just being slightly ADD and not being able to do anything unless I'm doing something else. <laughs> I can relate to that latter part. <laughs> so I tend to find that my ideas develop better if I'm also working on other ones for whatever reason. 
So right now I have yeah these three scripts going in different stages, but going at the same time ish. Hopefully soon we'll get into showing you more stuff. Um, yeah, I think that'd be great. Do you find that you're more efficient when you feel like you have too much to do? Actually, yes. I think if I ever stop, I start to overthink everything. And I just, well, as the poem was saying, I'll stand still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's just kind of hard to to get myself going in any direction. Otherwise, we just started this whole other little series called Fun Size Films, even shorter than our poems. Uh, <laughs> we've already done two and shot the third. There's challenges to make them all under a, each under two minutes maybe even 30 seconds long, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even have to be a whole story. It's just whatever we come up in the, with in the moment and just do it just so we're creating and remember that we can create and finish things. Have fun with it, you know. I look forward to seeing some of those. David is just dying to say this story. <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> Fun Size is uh, a nickname that John has been given several times <laughs> by oh, several uh -huh. different people because he is 5'4". <laughs> <laughs> He's been picked up before and somebody says, you're fun size. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we'll look forward to seeing those. Absolutely. So it sounds like you want to continue sort of mastering the art of shorter films. Yes. And also, also longer films. I actually, I feel like my ideas tend to want to be feature length films, which is why I decided to try poems because I don't feel like my ideas generally works so well in short form but if you don't have a whole huge budget yet or you don't know everybody you need to know which we didn't we came here knowing absolutely nobody short films are a good way to start branching out and exploring new things and meeting new people so yeah, a little bit about <laughs> that's a great tee up to my next question you know if there was a young wannabe director was seeking advice what would your what would your advice be to help that person get started it's interesting because I feel like I'm in a place where I could use that advice. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that, I would say just do it. Just start creating whatever way you find yourself compelled to create. This is something I know I struggle with, but try not to worry too much about what everybody else is doing. Obviously, watch and if somebody else does something you can learn from, learn from it. But if you... Try not to spend every second comparing yourself to what other people are doing because then you will defeat the purpose of your art. You will not be paying attention to your vision and you will just kind of sit and not be able to create much anyway. So just go for it, <laughs> whatever way you can. Rachel, how about you? What kind of advice or suggestions would you give to someone who is wanting to break into the, the whether it's the film industry or the acting industry? becoming an actor? I think it's kind of the same um, as Carlos. Like, just, you gotta just do it. But also, I think, as artists, we sometimes put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be perfect from the beginning. So I think giving yourself the opportunity to make mistakes and to, you know, fail sometimes, because I think we learn a lot from that. Um, and know that you're never, you're not going to be perfect when you first start out. You're, you know, you're going to look back on some of the stuff you created when you first started and cringe and <laughs> laugh. But you have to start there. Everyone does. Mm. I would say every actor that's major in Hollywood, if you look back at their first stuff, it's not great. But you have to start somewhere. I also heard some great advice. I was at Denver Comic Con a couple weeks ago, and I was at a panel with Nathan Fillion, who um, was the guy in Firefly, and he was oh, yeah. just an asshole. And he said the best advice he could ever give to any 
actor would be be nice to everyone on your way up because they're the same people you will meet on your way down. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> so and I think like, I feel like as actors, we're like, oh, I don't want to take the small part or I don't want to be the extra or I don't want to do that. But you can learn so much from doing those small parts just by watching people that maybe are further along and, you know, networking, just meeting other artists and learning about their experiences. There's just a lot to learn from every experience that you do. So really, there's really no reason to turn down a part or a role or an experience unless it's something that's going to be detrimental to you. Mm -hmm. I will have to say that both what both of you said, I think is applicable to almost any career that someone has. And that's if you have a desire to do something to get out there and start doing it. The more you do it, the more skill you gain, the more appreciation you have for the other individuals who are doing that same thing. And you start to, like you said, Rachel, you start to integrate yourself into a group of people that can not only help pull you up, but can also sometimes be the individuals who can say, there's another way of doing it. Or Mm -hmm. they can be the ones who say, it was good for your first try. You know, and it's that pat on the back that you need that says, hey, it wasn't perfect, but hey, this is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I appreciate that. We often say in our writing and on career money, you know, don't sacrifice the good for the great. So go out True. there and fall on your face half a dozen times and you will, you're bound to get better. Right. So, but Rachel, when, when we met in at the C Film Center here in Denver, I think you had told us about how there seems to be like there's a community of actors and actresses or maybe movie makers that kind of bounce around. Santa Fe and Denver and some places in Canada. Yeah. Could you um, expand upon that? I thought that was a very interesting subculture. There's really three big places right now, as far as I've heard, that are really producing most of the film for the industry right now. And they are Santa Fe and Albuquerque, Atlanta in Georgia, and then Vancouver. Mm. So because it's become so expensive to film in LA, the studios are starting to move out of there to film their things. And I mean, there's a lot of hungry artists and a lot of hungry actors that want to get that opportunity to do those small parts and, you know, TV shows and films. So, you know, we're willing to go and do it for maybe not as much as it usually is paid or just for the experience. Colorado, unfortunately, we didn't aren't getting as much incentives to film here for Mm -hmm. film companies to come here. So the Colorado actors, if we want to be paid for it and make a living off of it, have been forced to find other means to go out and find the work in Santa Fe or in Atlanta. I would say mostly the Colorado actors are going down to New Mexico just because it's the easy place to get to. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of building blocks from there to go to the other places. Hopefully in 20 years, we can help with that. (laughs) That'd be a mecca uh, Hollywood scene here. (laughs) Hopefully not Hollywood. (laughs) A Denver scene. Denver would. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I I think that's interesting because if I was looking to become a fabulous actress, I would think that I would need to go to LA or to New York City. And that would be maybe a little bit more daunting barrier than moving to Santa Fe or Atlanta or even to Denver. Um, so I think if, if anybody's looking to get into movies, you don't have to follow the, I guess, the traditional path of, of going out to Hollywood because it sounds like that's not necessarily where the where it's easiest to get jobs these days. Yeah, definitely. Well, and sometimes it's easier to be a a shining star when there is no other light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you're in L.A. or New York, it's just 
so much to deal with and so many people to to uh compete, to with. compete with yeah but i think you and i should move to atlanta because i want to be a zombie <laughs> <laughs> that's the place to go if you want to be a zombie for sure oh, yeah. <laughs> that's true yeah. i'll throw to both of you any last words we'll start with rachel i think just i would you know say to your audience that we do have a very vibrant film community here and a very vibrant theater community but we don't expand much outside of our own communities and we really at least from my part would love to share that with just the general community of denver so go and see local productions go and see local films help us support us to make these stories and to tell even the stories of denver would be awesome (laughs) rachel what, what are some of the shows that you've done here in denver Oh, um, I just recently did a show at the Firehouse Playhouse in Lowry at the John Hand Theater that was actually a original written show by one of the actresses in it called um, Rock of Aging. It was a spoof um, <laughs> on aging um, set to songs of the 60s and 70s. Oh, wow. <laughs> very fun. The one I did before that was a play that was uh, written by one of my friends in original work that we performed at the Aurora Fox Studio. I apparently really like doing original works and working with, you know, artists that are creating their own content. I think before that, I've done, you know, some other things of like Steel Magnolias, the classic of that. We did Sunset Boulevard. There's a ton in Denver. So it's just, there's something for anyone. Yeah, yeah. there is a thriving scene here. So if, if you can get involved and support it in any way, shape or form, that's definitely something to pursue. And you know the fags in the Broadway. So, <laughs> we all love a good musical. Yes, we do. <laughs> Carlos, any closing words after David's <laughs> eloquent comments? That was a bit of a generalized statement. <laughs> yeah, was. Going off of what Rachel was saying, um, I do think it is really important for arts to be integrated. And that's one of my future, future goals with my company here is to hopefully help people in all these communities become one artistic community. Um, So yeah, if there's any way you can uh, support the arts here and explore new things, you should do it because there's a a lot going on. I feel like Rachel already said all all the things. (laughs) Sorry, stole your stuff. (laughs) No, you said it better than I would have. So essentially support your local art scene because President Trump won't. Well, now we're getting into painful zones. Well, we want to thank you both for your time and for coming on our show. We appreciate it. We we always love hearing other creative people and about their creative process. And hopefully this inspires uh, more of our Queer Money listeners to whatever their dream is, whether it's become an actress or an actor or a director or, or a personal finance writer or to see a hundred shows <laughs> in a year <laughs> to just pursue whatever, whatever their dream is and be a good representative of the LGBT community or the S community. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you again, Carlos and Rachel for joining us here on queer money and sharing your experience with us, your drive and passion in helping other people not only see a different perspective of life, but also a story that you have to tell and your creative energy. Once again, thank you, Mass Mutual, for supporting this podcast. We know our community thrives and is benefited by companies like yours, and we want to give back to you. So please check out Mass Mutual at massmutual.com. Okay. We just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. 
Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> Would help me if I had a personal chef made all me all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.